Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's movie double feature is The Park is Mine and Rolling Thunder. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Sorry, I'm, for some reason my brain didn't register the fact that I needed to pull my microphone over. Only been almost 175 episodes. We'll figure it out someday. Listen, we can all bicker and argue <laughs> about who's a fucking idiot, or... Oh no, it's me. Trust me. We can all just be relieved. We can all just be relieved. It's all of us. Yeah, I don't think there's much to argue about here. You're all (laughs) equally fucking stupid. (laughs) Could be worse. I mean, we could have a super popular podcast like Horror, etc. And then just stop doing it. And then have people constantly asking when it's coming back. Yeah. That'd 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 be be fucking annoying. Fucking annoying. Imagine if you were the co-host of a very popular podcast and then it went away and then you started a different podcast and no one listened. <laughs> thus implying that... <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, don't worry about it. Nobody ever listened to any of my podcasts. So, <laughs> so we're good. <laughs> I'm starting to think maybe I'm the problem. <laughs> oh, we told you you were the problem in the first episode. Yeah. I believe there was a... Stop saying accurate things. It hurts. <laughs> uh, uh, so I refuse little... to sit here and be talked to in an accurate way. <laughs> so it doesn't look like anybody uh, had a horrible time while I was gone. Yeah, we're all right. I don't know how it is up in there in Canada, Doug, but CDC told us down here we don't if we're fully vaccinated, we don't have to wear masks no more. They don't have any fully vaccinated people yet, so we don't know what it'll be like when that happens. Mm-hmm. We still don't know if it's a good idea, but they're talking about at work. They're talking about how it's kind of a pain in the butt because I guess while the CDC made recommendations, nobody bothered to tell OSHA that they needed to update their recommendations. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to go with whoever has the strictest one. Which is a little obnoxious. Well, that's fun. I got an email while I was gone from my new employer that said that we could start following CDC mandates and... uh we feel comfortable enough, we don't have to wear a mask as long as we're fully vaccinated. 
Which doesn't matter because I kind of sit in a room by myself anyway, so I can just take my mask off when nobody else is around. Right. Well, at least they did. They did the caveat of if you're vaccinated. Yeah. Although I suppose that doesn't matter because the people who don't get the vaccination are the type of people who would just say they got the vaccination. <laughs> we also work for a PBS station. And most PBS people are. Oh, yeah. Pretty. I didn't, I didn't realize so. your station was a PBS station. Yeah, that's got to be delightfully liberal. Yeah. It is kind of nice. Uh, do you know what PBS is, Doug? I do know what PBS is. We actually okay. get PBS up here. Uh, <sighs> out of all of the random things that you do get up there, that's the one that I actually find surprising. Why the fuck would you guys get our public broadcasting channel. I don't know. <laughs> I don't you're, make the decisions. I think just I mean I, I suppose we get BBC, but but we get BBC America. Do you guys get like PBS Canada? No, I don't think so. Well, you're stealing suppose, a publicly funded broadcasting. I, I, I suppose you Canadians probably enjoy Antiques Roadshow as much as the next person. <laughs> I've, I don't. Other than as a kid watching like Sesame Street on it, I don't know that I've watched PBS. Maybe some news clips from time to time. Having. Having having to sit and kind of monitor the over-air signal, I I can say that the PBS news stuff is pretty well balanced, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's weird when you see an American news station saying something intelligent. So that's mm-hmm. why I get scared when I watch it. I'm like, this doesn't seem right. They're not even sensationalizing this story. <laughs> NPR does a really good job too. I used to listen to some NPR podcasts, but never like news-based stuff. So. Yeah. I listened to This America Life for a while, but then I got kind of boring, so I stopped listening. It's all right. What's and what's the? God damn it! Now I can't remember what it is. It was just in my head. The one that like Paula Poundstone and everybody's always fucking on. Uh, I have no idea. I have not heard the name Paula Poundstone in about twenty years. Isn't she like? Oh, wait, wait, wait! Don't tell me that's the name of the show. <laughs> It's like an improv comedy live radio broadcast. There could have been a great joke set up, but you messed it up. With the wait, wait, don't tell me. That's yeah. Damn it. <laughs> I told you I am the problem. <laughs> She's trying to prove a point. That's all. Yeah, it could have been a great uh, who's on first situation. Like, what's that podcast? I can't remember the name. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Like, I don't know it either. I'm not going to tell you. No, no. Wait, wait, don't tell me. I wasn't going to tell you, Noah. See? This could have been podcasting gold, and you fucked it up. Damn it. I don't know if that podcasting gold. Gold, go Doug. Gold is what it would have been. Oh, yeah, I, I guess as an extension of our PBS discussion, it makes sense, but I'm not really sure. Mm. not really sure if we're... Uh really creating gold this week so far so you know what pbs would report on casual terrorism (laughs) uh yeah so we're talking about two uh two movies dealing with vietnam ptsd and they both have tommy lee jones in them 
it's debatable whether they're dealing with PTSD. Yeah. It's a discussion we can get into. Uh, uh, I do believe I said and casual terrorism. Casual terrorism. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm assuming the one that Noah is talking about is the park is mine? Yes. I would Great. suggest that that is the most casual terrorism of the two movies, yeah. <laughs> well, then, Noah, why don't you break down The Park is Mine for everybody? Uh, man, The Park is Mine gets right down to it. So, it, it starts <laughs> with a guy committing suicide. Yeah. Uh, and then we immediately find out that he was Tommy Lee Jones' friend who had cancer and had come up with an idea of laying siege to Central Park uh, in order to raise awareness of how shitty everything is. Not not anything in particular, just in general. <laughs> and uh, Tommy Lee Jones goes over and looks at all this stuff and goes, this guy was crazy. You know what? Crazy like a fox, I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and he does that. And then the rest of the movie, it's it's weirdly politically apropos for the moment, because it's the idea of, so a guy does a thing that's a bad thing, but the reaction to it is way worse than anything he does. So where the fuck does that put everybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it poses some really interesting questions, and it does not really necessarily provide answers. I like that about this movie. Like I said, and with the stuff going on in uh, Israel and Gaza and stuff, it's like, oh, yeah, that's 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 some oh. direct lines right there of <laughs> bad people doing bad things and then assholes overreacting and doing worse things. In the interest of fairness, like... You could make this movie at any time, and it would almost always correlate to what's going on between Israel and the Palestinians. It's oh, just that is depressingly accurate. Stop it's... saying true things. <laughs> uh, well, what did you like about this movie, Doug? Uh, well, I thought. Well, I mean, just as a as a film, I thought it worked pretty well as far as the tension and everything went. But what I really liked about it was that it's sort of uh, a combination of like the Vietnam vet movie of the 80s which is like you know think about First Blood and movies like that where it's always mm -hmm. about like oh look at how these guys are suffering and we need to draw attention to it but then it's that's mixed with the um, sort of rich people suck attitude of the 80s and the quit being so elitist type thing sort of like the uh I almost want to say the same message as in like they live where it's like stop paying attention to all these rich people and start doing something to actually help the normal everyday people and they sort of mix those two really well and you realize that they're a lot more interconnected than you might think and I thought that that was really fucking well done I think they did a really good job of kind of combining those two issues uh, which was very interesting and sort of unique I don't think I've ever seen a film before that kind of draws parallels between the sufferings of different groups like that, um, which I thought was good. Although it does, it does unfortunately fall into the the bad bit of its time period in which it's angry white guy being angry about angry white guy stuff. Uh, 
Yes and no, because the guy doing the, the slow burn terrorism, as it were, he um, <laughs> God, that the terrorism is so casual. I it's just, just I can't stress that enough. Casual terrorism should not like be a thing. I really like it though, and we'll get into more of a discussion on that. But just to respond to your last point, I, he's not angry white guy being angry about angry white guy stuff. Like he's everything he says, he's right about. He's pissed because there's nobody helping the Vietnam vets adapt back to regular society when they're like. And this movie came out in like '85, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like. That war had been over for a long time by then. Somebody should have started addressing those issues. And they clearly, at least according to pop culture, I'm not actually up to date on what was done with Vietnam vets, but according to pop culture, they were not doing enough to help those guys readapt. And a lot of them were still suffering the impacts of that war. Here's here's some good news for you, Doug. A lot of them are still having problems from that fucking war. Yeah, but there's a lot of other people having problems from other wars since then. Right. So they're all mixed in now. Yeah, um, it's wild. My uh, my wife's father is a Vietnam vet who has a whole bunch of fucking issues from it. They were never properly addressed. Yeah, no, and that's and that's a problem. And this film is drawing attention to that. But then he's also when he when he gets those things from the newspaper and he starts reading them these horrible things that happened like within new york city and within the year of this incident taking place and he's just like look at all this terrible shit that's happening and it's on the back page of the paper while all the dumb shit is on the front page and he's absolutely right especially in the 80s that was true it's still pretty much true today but it was worse then i think even and it's just he's not just stamping his feet and complaining about you know my life's not fair. He's got legitimate gripes and he doesn't know any way to get people to listen to them. And the only way he's finally able to do that is through his casual terrorism. <laughs> it's so casual. <laughs> it's just for people at home who haven't seen the movie. He literally like he sets off a bunch of explosives in Central Park and he sends out a message that says like, once these go off, there's going to be a bunch of explosives at 10 o'clock. Then you got 10 minutes to clear Central Park. And then I'm going to take it over for three days. And if everybody leaves me the fuck alone, in three days I'll leave. And that's it. And nothing else will happen. <laughs> and it, it's the most like casual terrorism in history because he's just going to hang out in the park for three days. And the only thing he does is react to other people. He's even the whole time running around with like blanks in his gun so that he doesn't accidentally hurt anybody. <laughs> it's... Which, I mean, it really goes a long way. Um, a really simple thing they do in the movie is they tell us at the beginning, like, there's two clips for every gun, and they've got tape on them, and the is it the yellow tape is blanks and the red tape is real bullets or whatever, so that the whole movie we know that he's not actually trying to hurt anybody at any given time because we know which clip he's got in his gun, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's another compliment to the filmmakers, but it also does a good job of making him a lot more sympathetic when, as an audience, we know that he's going out of his way to make sure nobody gets hurt, let alone just not, you know, even even when cops start trying to come into the park and all that kind of stuff, he is still just trying to scare them off. Mm-hmm. Even to the point there's a there's a reporter that ends up being his sidekick throughout most of it, and, and when he when she sneaks into the park. 
and he discovers her, he starts yelling at her, but he's not even doing it in like a, like a, uh, I'm so angry you're here, but it's like, I've got landmines all over this place. You could have, you could have hurt yourself. How dare you? It is. And because it's Tommy Lee Jones and because Tommy Lee Jones has been a cranky old man since about 14 minutes after he was born, (laughs) it really comes across like he's her dad yelling at her for sneaking into the park when she's not supposed to be there. Uh, but it's funny because uh, then he takes he takes her back to his like his little hideout and he's like strip off your clothes and she's all scared and all he does is give her camo clothes to put back on so that the she won't be uh, as visible to the uh, police I do really like that interaction's so weird because well it's it's bad because clearly she's afraid and, and thinks she's going to be violated right but the the fact that he kind of tells her he's like, I'm so stressed out right now. You think I can do that? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones is pretty fantastic in this, which I don't think is a big shock to uh, to anybody that Tommy Lee Jones is a good actor. What? what? But but he when the movie started, I thought like he didn't really look the part. But mm. once he geared up and he went into full, like, casual terrorism mode, <laughs> I was like, he's perfect for this part. Because he, like, just that voice of his and everything, he just comes across as so angry and frustrated at all times, and it's perfect for this character. Yeah, like, <laughs> frustrated is a good word for it. Because he, uh, I don't know, they have all these emergency phones throughout the park, which I'm assuming was a real thing in the 80s. Um and the cops will call him up, and he picks up the phone. He's always like, what? <laughs> Stop. Stop calling me. <laughs> I like when, uh, I like whenever they tried to, like, trick him, and he's, like, too smart for them, how angry he got that they thought he was stupid. Like, the one point where they go, like, well, we'll just call you back on this same phone next time. And he goes, yeah, and because I'm stupid, I'll go for that deal. <laughs> he's like. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I I loved his performance in this movie. I thought he was just perfect. I thought he was great, too. Uh, so what did you think of this movie now? I think I enjoyed it for the most part. Uh, it was a little more exciting than the, the other movie that we're going to talk about. Ooh, really? Because I felt opposite. I feel like it, oh, this, really? one kinda, this one kind of dragged in the middle. Really? Because this one, at least there's like there's stuff happening the whole time. I feel well, like I think, the the other one. There's a whole lot of times where there's just nothing happening. I, I found that um, I, we'll we'll get into this discussion of the other one when we get there. But for me, the tension in this one worked a lot better, and that's why I, th- I think it for me it worked more is because it's not so much that there's more things happening; it's that I'm more engaged with what is going on. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I guess once they sort of uh, lay out that he's not hurting anybody, I feel like it kind of got sort of wore down in the middle. Okay. Well, I'm like, where well, I'm like, he's not actually going to hurt anybody, so he's just running around. Literally, it's just him running around the park for like the middle part of the movie, and then when they finally are just like, you know what, fuck this guy, we're going to hire two mercenaries to come in and fucking kill him. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, now now the stakes are getting up a little bit. So yeah, then I, I got more engaged with it. 
That's where it became more of an action movie towards the end. They had to slap their yeah. action movie ending on it. Um, but I, I liked a lot of the scenes that took place outside of the park as well. I liked the the meetings in like City Hall with like the, everyone giving their different ideas, and you could see like there were some people who were just saying like he just said he'll leave at the end of 72 hours. Why don't we just lock off the park and wait 72 hours and nobody has to get hurt? Like, it seems like the logical thing to do. And it's almost like the ego and the, the political considerations that everybody else is throwing in are preventing that from happening. And thirdly, you know, they're causing the violence because they're not willing to just sit back and wait and listen all, all, all he would have done is bitched into a microphone a few times and it would have been over. Um, but they didn't want to, like, quote-unquote, appear weak or, or anything like that. Um, I, I dug all that stuff and it felt very real to me. It felt like, you know, you know, you had certain police officers who were just perfectly willing to, like, kind of de-escalate the situation and others who were constantly trying to get more aggressive. And then you had, like, the politicians who were just almost more worried about their careers than what happened with the actual park. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. That fucking assistant mayor or whatever the fuck he is. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Was, here's Look, here's the question. That was that Jeffrey Combs or was that somebody whose voice is just way similar <laughs> to Jeffrey Combs? <laughs> I think it's similar. very similar. Yeah. Because it, it was really weird. I kept like looking away, and I was like, "Jeffrey Combs is in this movie," and I was like, "No, that's that same actor." <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> Could just be uh, Jeffrey Combs in a wig, and just we might not recognize him. <laughs> Jeffrey Combs, the chameleon. Um, I don't know. I don't have much else to say. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was it was interesting because the. The whole thing is, though, I don't know who in this movie is actually completely wrong. No one. Right, because at the same time, so we've got the whole idea of maybe we should just leave him alone. And everybody going, yeah, leave him alone. And it's like, well, yeah, except a dude set off a bunch of bombs and he's, yeah. and he's in the park threatening to hurt people. Well, no, Unless he's promising he's... not to hurt people, so... Well, but he's threatening to hurt people if anyone comes into the park. He's he's basically laying siege to public land, which... Is wrong. Is, yeah, is, is problematic, and... The response to that isn't... No response? But no, the response no, you... to that also isn't... Hire mercenaries to go in and murder him? <laughs> yeah. And that's, and I mean, because it's a movie from the 80s, they take it that step further where the mercenaries are also told to murder the journalist that's in there, um, you know, just in case kind of thing. And it's like, okay, so now that's letting us know who the filmmakers want the hero to be. But I think that's just an 80sism. I don't think that's an intentional message. The fact, the fact that one of them is very literally a Viet Cong is almost too yeah. much. It's almost too much. Well, the other guy's like a Yugoslav, right? Isn't he? Yugoslavian? Something, Something like, like that. that. It's like, you know, the fact that there are non-Americans that are being sent in to kill an American vet is, is very important in the movie. Um, it's just the idea that it goes to that idea that he's not being treated with any respect. 
But I mean, I think the the movie does a good job of walking that line all along because even his interactions at the beginning with his ex-wife, where he's like, you know, like he shows up and he wants to see his kid and and she's like, well, you can't. He's asleep. He's like, well, why do you always say he's asleep when I get here? He's like, she's like, well, you come late. What do you want me to do? Like, and I'm like, yeah, you're. I understand his frustration. He wants to see his kid. I understand her frustration. Call and fucking make arrangements to come at three in the afternoon, not late at night. I like, I understand that fully. And it's like he's. You can tell he's frustrated because he's, you know, still suffering the effects of the war, and he doesn't understand why she doesn't want to help him. But you can also see her perspective as here's this guy that flies off the handle all the time, can't hold a job. Like eventually would you want to be in a relationship with somebody like that? Probably not. You'd probably divorce them. So you can understand both sides of that argument. And I think it's kind of a microcosm for what the whole movie ends up being about, which is like, yeah, like this guy is raising valid points and he is doing something, but the method he's choosing to use to get this attention is kind of turning him into a criminal, but I don't know what other method he could have used to get all those people's attention. Right. So it's, yeah, I would say that's that's another apropos thing because this is kind of I, calling calling it uh, peaceable protest is is a lie, but I would call it extreme protest. Yeah, if if that makes sense, I don't know. No, you're right, well, and it's good because the question is: is is that terrorism? Like, is what he's doing right now terrorism? If he doesn't actually have any demands and he isn't trying to change anything specific, he's just trying to go, "Hey, look at how fucked up this is." Yeah, I mean that's basically what it comes down to, um, and I don't think it qualifies as terrorism because he's not demand like you know he's not demanding specific changes he's not actually threatening anyone he's just basically saying leave me alone in here i'm I'm doing this so that it'll get on the news so that other people will talk about this basically Um, so it's you're right it's not peaceful protest but it's not exactly terrorism either right right it's not exactly violent protest either i don't it falls into a weird gray area of i don't know how i feel about this (laughs) Yeah, and and it it is one of those things where it's like a lot of protests that go on in the real world, and it, I feel like this is just one of those things that we've known as a problem forever and haven't done anything about. Is you know, police show up to break up a protest, and they end up causing more violence than is necessary. And it's like, well, how do you deal with that? Because yes, if people are doing something that's illegal, then the police shouldn't just stand by and let that happen. But if they, if running in makes things a lot worse, they shouldn't do that either. So where does that leave us on all these situations, you know? Um, and nobody seems to have an answer to that yet. Yeah. The whole thing was the eighties. So even though, uh, it all ended. Okay. I guess if you could call it. Okay. He just, he just gets thrown in a jail cell and nobody ever talks about it again. Yeah, and nothing that, changes, and they got they no. would get that part of the movie correct because nothing did change. But I, it kind of blew my mind that he was alive at the end of the movie. I was like, I don't, I don't understand how this movie ends with him not dead. <laughs> like, but did you? Wait, we said he was white at the beginning. 
Nope. Did you not get that part of the plot description in? I, I, I apologize. For, I mean, I, like, look, I don't, I don't want to get overly political, but you look at the police response to the Black Lives Matters protests and you look at the police response to the January 6th riot and you tell me that this guy wouldn't have lived just fine. That's true. He, he could get rich selling those T-shirts that say the park is mine and speaking at right-wing events after this. Ugh. Which is not what he wanted, but I I'll tell you guys one thing. I'm kind of glad that's not where this went, because for a minute at the beginning of this movie, whenever he started doing all this stuff, I was like, oh, my God, if this turns into some kind of libertarian fucking masturbation movie, I'm going to be really angry. (laughs) But that isn't what it ended up doing. that's the one thing I mean because this is a movie and not real life like our idealistic character maintains his ideals throughout the entire movie and doesn't just simply become corrupted or doesn't just snap and go over the edge at any point in time um, which is probably not realistic to how human beings would act in the situation but it it works for the movie yeah. uh, alright well any my final thoughts before we move on no, I mean, this movie is something I'd never heard of until it got put on our podcast list it's which is, which is for- weird because it's a it's a tommy lee jones like i guess you could call it a siege movie it's it's like an atypical siege movie but but that's still yeah. basically what it is yeah mm. and it's it's from an era where this type of movie was getting made and some of them are still quite popular um there is a blu-ray of it but if you want to watch it there are multiple versions of it for free on youtube uh that's how i watched it um and I recommend it. Just search it on YouTube and watch it. I think it's a really good movie, um, which just it seems under like it's underseen or yeah. underappreciated because it's uh, just I, I I was I was expecting you know low budget action movie crap, and I was fine with that. I'll watch that sometimes, but I was really impressed with what we got. Um, one of the reasons for that actually might be uh, apparently this is the very first made for HBO movie oh okay so it probably didn't get a wide rotation like uh, most movies of the time would have that makes sense because HBO like when it was in 85 would have still been not particularly common right yeah still would have been pretty like cable in general would have been pretty uh i don't want to say rare but it wouldn't have been the norm kind of like it is now and uh hbo funding their own stuff and only having the one channel unlike the you know 50 hbo channels you get now probably would have uh would have run it you know even just a couple times a week or something and that doesn't mean it uh would have caught on kind of like it might have nowadays HBO West Central South. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, continuing on, Doug, why don't you uh, give us a rundown of Rolling Thunder? Rolling Thunder. Okay. So, a couple of guys come back from Vietnam after being held uh, prisoner for a whole bunch of time. Seven years. Seven years. Okay. Um, they get back. They're greeted as heroes. 
the main character whose name I don't forget, I forget because he's not the one played by Tommy Lee Jones. I think they um, just call him Major through the whole thing. I can't remember them ever saying his name. They, they give uh, his full name, but they do refer to him as Major a lot. It's Baines, I believe. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, so he's, you know, he's having a little trouble adjusting. He's sleeping in the, uh, in the woodshed behind his own house because it feels too weird to be too open and free. And his... He's, you know, obviously his relationship with his son is awkward because he his son doesn't ever remember knowing him because the kid's only supposed to be like eight or something. Um, his wife has kind of moved on and was with someone else, and that's causing some headaches, um, <laughs> which I mean are all real problems that could really exist in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and to top it off, he's granted one uh, silver dollar for every day that he was in a jail cell and they that's given to him right on TV so naturally when you start flaunting around having a couple of thousand dollars worth of silver dollars <laughs> that's going to draw the attention of the worst kinds of people and that's 1970s money yeah so that's like that's like people finding out you have ten thousand dollars today but um <laughs> So anyways, a home invasion occurs, wife and kid are are killed, his hand is jammed into a garbage disposal, and uh, from that point he gets gets pretty pissed off, Um, decides to, he teams up initially with a, uh, like a waitress that's been hitting on him this whole time, and starts going down to Mexico to uh, track down the fuckers who did this. When he eventually thinks he knows exactly where they are, that's when he goes and uh, recruits Tom Healy Jones in the least difficult recruitment scene in the history of filmmaking. <laughs> he just walks in, he goes, found him, and Tom Healy Jones gets up and walks away from his family dinner. <laughs> oh, so good. I just love that scene. He's like, yeah, I found, I found the, the guys who killed my son. Tom Healy Jones just looks at him and goes, I'm just going to get my gear. He goes in his closet and starts pulling, pulling all this shit out. So good. No, I really, I, I actually, like, I'm laughing when I say it, but I actually thought it was a really good scene. Because oh, they, they both come back out dressed in their full military gear. And the family's like, um, guys, what's going on? And he's like, oh, we're going to go out and get some beer. And it's like, well, we have beer. You're already you're out of the good beer, so we're gonna get some different beer. Like, it's, just, <laughs> it's like we're going to launch a small war in Mexico right now, but we don't want to say that out loud. So, well, and yeah. it's not even they don't come out dressed in like their fatigues and stuff. They're straight up in their dress blues. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which so. I don't know. There's something so much more intense about that. The fact that they're like, nah, we're not even gonna wear the combat stuff. Let's go murder a bunch of people. Yeah. So then they go down to the whorehouse in Mexico where the people that they want to murder are, and they murder them. And that's the movie. One of the best things. So Tommy Lee Jones's character doesn't have a whole lot of lines in this film. Nope. In almost every single line, solid fucking gold. Yep. <laughs> Like he's sitting there and his his job is to go into the whorehouse first and kind of pretend to be, you know, a, a customer so that he can be in position for the murdering. And whenever shit starts to go south and the 
the hooker starts to freak out. She's like, what are you doing? Because he's pulling like a shotgun out of his bed. And he's like, I'm going to murder a bunch of people. (laughs) 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 And he says it so matter of factly just oh yeah i'm getting ready to oh we're gonna just murder the ever-living shit out of everybody in this building so you might really not be where you are right now yeah it's, it's interesting because his whole character is just like completely loyal to the other guy and whatever's going on like like both those scenes we you just talked about the, the one-liners are just him going what you need me of course we don't we don't need to have a discussion you don't even need to ask i'm obviously coming with you to do this and <laughs> i really like that about the character i thought like it was simple but it was a really interesting way to have that character acting i do i i find so once again tommy lee jones's character isn't in here a whole lot but he's got an interesting I don't know, like thought process and stuff, because there's a scene where they're they're at a hospital and they're talking and Tommy Lee Jones's character basically says, you know, he's re upping in the military. He just got out of a POW camp that he's been in for seven years and he's signing back up. Yeah. And and basically the only reason he gives for it is like he just doesn't know what else to fucking do. Like he knows how to kill people (laughs) like the end. And then he was like, and after 10 years, you know, I'll get retirement benefits. And he's like, and the other guy's like, yeah, and after 10 years, you can just sign up for another 10 years. And he's like, yep. (laughs) It's funny because, like, this movie isn't, like I say, it's not really about the PTSD. It's not like this guy comes home and snaps. He come he snaps because his family is murdered. Sure. His hand is jammed into a garbage disposal. But sure. in the background is this story about these guys coming back from Nam and not knowing how to readjust to society. Mm-hmm. And you know, one guy obviously doing his best to become a normal member of society again prior to this home invasion, and the other guy just going, "No, fuck it, I'm not going to." Like I, I don't, I don't care that I just spent all this time in a POW camp. I'm just gonna go back into the military. And he kind of casually throws it out, like one bullshit job is the same as any other bullshit job. And it's like, yeah, but one of those just got you thrown into a prison cell for years. Maybe take the other bullshit job now. See if that one. Maybe you don't get locked in a prison cell. But I think it's directly addressing what we were talking about with the last movie of these guys just coming back from Nam and not being able to adjust back in and not having the resources made available to them to help them. Mm. And just, you know, whoever is supposed to be helping you just doesn't, whether it's your family or whether it's, you know, the military or society in general. Just kind of leaving you to dry and, like, you figure it out. Yeah. yeah, like, the PTSD stuff is there, but it's not the main focus of the movie. Um, no. Like we pointed out earlier, the fact that he sleeps in the in his workshop. Yeah. And then when they have a flashback to him when he was in prison, you see that it's basically set up to exactly be just like his prison cell was. Yeah. And it's just like all this all this weird little stuff that yeah. if you pick up on it, you're like, Oh yeah, he's not he he's he's out. He's free. He goes to all these ceremonies and stuff where they give him silver dollars for some God knows reason why. You have to give and, uh, silver dollars and a Cadillac, and you're like, yeah. "All right, I don't 
that doesn't help though right yeah but yeah he is not he is not readjusting very well the one scene that not, i thought was super intense not readjusting he's i i i don't i don't know how to describe it but there is something extra fucking wrong with oh, him yeah. like yeah, even yeah. beyond just the PTSD and stuff he seems to i don't know like there's a weird masochistic oh yeah, yeah. streak in him I, I mean, the scene where he's getting beaten and gets his hand all fucked up, I, the sounds he's making whenever he's getting punched sound like he's enjoying it. Yeah. Well, there's the scene where he explains that because he it's when the, the wife's new boyfriend comes in and it's kind of like, look, like the guy, it's a weird situation because it gets like, again, to relate it back to the other movie, I don't know who the good guy is and who the bad guy is here. Because the one guy's like, well, that's my wife. And the guy's like, yeah, man, we thought you were gone. None of us were trying to do anything to you. But mm-hmm. when we got together, we just, we thought you were never coming back. Like, we didn't know, you know what I mean? And it's, yeah. you're kind of like, you feel bad for both of them. But then he ends up, like, the main character ends up kneeling down, getting his hands tied behind his back and having the other guy lift his arms up in literally, like, it's in a voluntary torture situation. And he's just saying, yeah, like, I, it's it's almost like it's weird to him if he doesn't get tortured every day. <laughs> he needs somebody to come and torture him so he can sleep better that night. And it's like, and you can tell the other guy's, like, completely freaked out by this, and you, which mm-hmm. obviously you would be. Um, and this guy's just like, yeah, like, I don't know, you come to like it. It's the only way you manage to survive. And it's like, oh, fuck, that's so fucked up to hear that. And you're just like, I don't... <laughs> I don't uh, I, I don't know what to think about the idea that this guy is now likes pain and is now kind of thriving on that pain and definitely there's a, a built in message that like when the family gets killed like yes he's seeking revenge in the same way that any vigilante from any movie would but there's something different about the way he does it where he's enjoying the fact that he gets to be violent again gets to go back into that circumstances right oh yeah yeah it's it's a whole it's an interesting setup because <laughs> like you mentioned like neither one like the two guys neither one of them is like the bad guy in the situation no and i mean they're both trying to handle it as best they can and i guess i mean the main guy just sort of comes to term with it he's just like look all i really care about is my son my wife wants to take off you know that's that's kind of her thing i can't you know prevent that and it's a shitty situation but uh as long as he gets to be with his son then he's fine and then the new the new guy is just like oh yeah totally i totally get that like that's that that makes complete sense and even even he calls the kid a runt at some point just kind of joking around with him and he's like don't ever call my son a runt and he's like okay yep no problem (laughs) So, I mean, it's like they can't even, like, seem to, like, build any conflict between the two because they're both just like, yeah, this is fucked up. We're just going to try to try to get through it as best we can, I guess. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because very rarely when you see a fucked up situation like that, you have both characters just basically acknowledging how fucked up it is. They yeah. both know. Not both of them, like, neither of them wants to be in, that, in those circumstances. <laughs> it's fucking weird. I found all that stuff 
very interesting. For me, the movie becomes less interesting once he's doing his vigilante stuff. No. That's to me is, and it wasn't that I'm against vigilante stuff. It's that I like the the investigation. I, I don't know. I wasn't intrigued by it. I guess because mm. it does just seem like he just goes to different bars in Mexico and asks for this guy until one time he's there, and then they get into a fight, and then he goes home and gets his friend and comes back. Right. I was I was going to say that was one of the weird things. It's weird that they kind of, I don't know, they set him up to be a badass. But then the second he's actually out on the hunt, he's completely fucking incompetent. I mean, other than the killing part at the end, that clearly yeah. he's good at. Like, <laughs> well, he he finds himself in a lot of circumstances where he's like he wanders in, and now it's like five on one. And again, you have to start getting back to that weird like subplot of him seeming to enjoy the pain. Like, I don't care who you are, you don't walk into a five on one fight you're going to get beat unless you want to get beat, which is weird, but might be a characteristic that this guy has. Yeah. I think uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme would argue with you about the five on one situation. Listen, this movie was shot in the seventies in the eighties. <laughs> obviously the star of any action movie could fight at least five to 12 guys at once, but in the seventies they couldn't do that yet. They hadn't developed that technique. We're not yet that powerful. Uh, um, what about the girlfriend? I feel kind of bad for her. Why? Just because he like throws her into this? He, he brings her on his vigilante mission and doesn't tell her that's why they're going. And then she's like, "Well, wait a minute. Are you just like leading me on so that I'll help you with your vigilante mission?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, that's what I'm doing. I don't care about you at all. I'm willing to sleep with you in order to get you to help me find the people so I can kill the people, but you can't actually kill the people, so you're not useful to me once we find them. Well, and he just, the whole, once again, the whole thing's bad because he, like, physically abuses her a couple times, and there's just all sorts of shit going on with that duo that you're like, all of this is unhealthy. No, it's. I would be. I'd she's be very she's a crazy in, person too. Yeah, I'd be interested in a more of a deep dive on her character because we don't get a lot. But it's like, what's up with this chick who's just like hero worshiping this guy the day he gets back from Vietnam and has been like, they talk about how she was like, I don't know, wearing a ribbon that was for him that they give out to people. I, yeah, I really some kind that. of a. They wear a war bracelet for the POW until the POW comes back and then they can give them the bracelet that they've been wearing the entire time. But is that like, I don't think that's supposed to be a sexual thing, but it seemed to be to her. <laughs> like I, the impression I got is that most of the time it's just like, you know, a kid walks up to a soldier and says, I'm so glad you're home and hands him a bracelet. And the soldier is like, Oh, that's nice. And they take a picture together. But she seemed to think that it meant they were going to get married when he got back. And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah it seems I, I don't know I, I kind of like that they worked it in to the fact that so you see he's not suffering in the way a lot of vets are shown to suffer in movies but in, instead he's dealing with this uh, all the personal stuff you know the son the wife the, the, all, the all that stuff rather than coming back mm-hmm. to the the fucking baby killer chance and, and shit like that, yeah. which is normally what where these movies go. 
But having something like that in contrast, that it's like, and look at what people do. Yeah, they give you a car and they do all the, that's all great. But it's also all completely fucking hollow. It's just yeah. hollow platitudes that mean nothing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. And, and I think the movie makes that pretty clear in the fact that, like, nobody goes and tries to help this guy not live in a shed. Right. Like everybody's just, yeah, he just lives in a shed now. It's fine. And, you know, like when Tommy Lee Jones's character is reenlisting, nobody says, like, why the fuck would you do that? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know the real reason Tommy Lee Jones is reenlisting, though, right? You guys picked up on the subtleties of it? To join the Men in Black program? No, it's because his fucking <laughs> brother-in-law is Franklin from the fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the most annoying oh, person in humanity. <laughs> so you'd re-enlist in the military if that's what you came home to as well. He's like, I can't deal with this bullshit. I'm going to fucking chainsaw that dude right in the head. Uh, yeah, like that guy shows up on screen and I just hear him talking. And I'm like, oh, fuck, it's fucking Franklin. What is that guy doing in another movie? <laughs> I thought we chainsawed you, Franklin. Good lord. It's telling that he was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 74, and by 77, he was in a role where he's credited as brother-in-law. So. <laughs> Sorry, you're too annoying. We can't get you any work. Sorry. I do, I do hate Franklin, but I still think the number one has got to be uh, annoying snicker guys, uh, snicker guy from the bad uh, Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> Uh, sure. Oh man, he gets he gets chopped to death with an axe in a very brutal scene, and you're uh-huh. like, "Yeah, I would have done it too, man." Here, <laughs> <laughs> here, we're gonna get a bunch of feedback from people with uh, handicaps and curly hair who are upset about the way we're displaying them on our podcast. Oh man, it's got nothing to do with the handicap. That dude's just fucking. So annoying. Well, it suggests that it has something to do with the handicap. Well, I don't know. You know. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, little column A, little column B. We'll do a Friday the 13th Part 5 commentary one day and let everyone know all our detailed oh. thoughts on that movie. Let's oh, get back God, on track. Why? Why do we have to watch the bad uh, one? Oh, come on. We're going we're gonna to make fun of it, though. It's going to be great. <laughs> have, you, have you seen the podcast we do? <laughs> of course we're going to watch the bad one. <laughs> Uh, all right. Anybody final thoughts on Rolling Thunder? Does it make you want a hook hand? I thought the hook hand was a little underused. Um, yeah. They kind of there's a couple of scenes at the beginning where he uses the hook hand to like fight guys, and I was like really looking forward to a climax where like everybody else has a gun and he only has his hook hand and he can take everybody out somehow, or like a flashback where they saw how he learned how to fight with a hook hand in Vietnam or something. <laughs> and it just, it kind of fades into the distance at the end and the, the final fight is just a shootout. So. Yeah, but he does fucking get that dude right in the balls with it. Yeah, he does do that. <laughs> oh, God. Like, that one, that one choked me up for a second. You know, normally people getting hurt in movies doesn't get me. And that one, I was like, my scrotum. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the midnight drive-in at gmail.com.
Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, so what everybody watched in the last episode? Not everybody all at once. No, you're uh, supposed to go first. You go first every week. How do you not yeah. know? Well, I was going to say, I've, I, I pretty much only watched one thing. Uh, and I didn't finish it. Well, I guess I watched the last episode of Invincible. That was dope. Yeah, it was. Well, we talked about that last time, though. Yeah, yeah, so I won't go into detail. It's good. I still think it's a good adaptation of the comics. It, I don't know. I think the only thing they could have done better is maybe they should have held off on the uh, the Omni-Man reveals for a little bit longer instead of, you know, giving it to you at the end of the first episode was too much. Mm. Should have built him up to be more Superman at first, and then right. So it would have been more crushing whenever you find out, because that was the thing in the comic book that you were like, "Oh no, <laughs> what? What just happened? Why is this? Why is this the way this is?" And then they're like, "You think that's fucked up? This is more fucked up." And you're like, "No, <laughs> they got me again." But yeah, right. so so that was good. And then I started watching. Uh, what the fuck is it called? Jupiter Legacy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm about six episodes into that. So. I haven't started it yet. Man, I so I saw the trailer for it and I was like, oh, great. Now Netflix is making shitty fucking superhero shows. And then I started watching it and I was like, oh, no, this is actually <laughs> this is well written. I like this. Well, it's based on a Mark Millar comic, isn't it? Yes. No, I don't. I, I can't. <laughs> say i've ever heard of that fucking comic book in my entire life well the problem the it's problem in the credits of the show though so that's how i know yeah, the problem with mark millar is he uh he was a comic book creator and then he made kick-ass and then you know they made the movie kick-ass and then he realized oh so what i can do is i could write like five five issues of a comic book and then make a movie out of it and i guess there's lots of money in that so it's pretty much all he does now it's right like five issues of a comic, turn it into a movie, and then never touches that comic again. So it's kind of annoying. Huh. I should I should say that that's terrible, but at the same time, man, if I could write five issues of a comic and then get paid to make a movie, I'd, <laughs> I'd do that so fucking fast. So I can't be mad at the guy. Well, and by make a movie, it's like he's executive producer. It's like he has to do a lot of the work. So yeah. right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, but then I mean, when he does that, sometimes he doesn't even finish like the story. Like it'll be like issue like six or something, and everybody's waiting for like another year and a half before he even gets back to possibly doing it anymore, or just completely just drops it and never finishes it. <sighs> But whatever. Like you said, it obviously works for him. He's made a lot of money doing it. So that's what I'm saying. If you make a bunch of money, why why ever stop doing that? Because I, I think he did. Uh, was it the Wanted? Uh, uh, they made that movie with Angelina Jolie. I think it's based on a comic book he did. And oh yeah, again, Wanted. Wanted was really good too. And I believe that was. Same situation, wrote like a uh, short series and then turned that into a movie. And then that was basically kind of it. Although Wanted, I feel like Wanted tricks you. 
Mm-hmm. Because if you read it, you're like, oh, that's so original and brilliant. And then you're like, no, no, wait a minute. There's a bajillion comic books that have the same fucking story. Why do I keep thinking this is original? <laughs> like, <laughs> he, he fooled me. He bamboozled me. Um, so that's it? Just Jupiter's legacy or whatever the fuck? Uh, yeah, that's it. So uh, I've I've been dealing with some crazy stuff. Mm. So I have not had time. Like my brain's no longer functioning. Uh, yeah, I, I'm assuming Doug, you may not know this, but my, my stepdaughter is autistic. I yes, I yeah, and, yeah, and so she lives. She lives in a facility. She doesn't live with us because she needs 24 hour supervision and stuff, and we just can't. We can't do that for her. And she's supposedly been in the process of moving to her adult home for two years now. Uh, the last year has been a complete fucking loss because of COVID. Like the the facilities just weren't taking new people. Just mm-hmm. they would just be like, nope, COVID. We we're like, okay, well that fucking sucks. So finally, we had found a place and she had begun the transitioning, which is kind of a gradual pain in the ass process. You know, she like goes for an hour and then she'll go for a day and then she'll go for uh, an overnight and then she'll go for a weekend and then she'll go for a week and and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until she finally Mm -hmm. moves. Well, there was an incident at the facility and uh, she she acts out sometimes and she'll throw a punch or break something or. Just just kind of one of those things you've got to live with. Mm-hmm. And something like that happened. And this facility all of a sudden decided they didn't want to take her. Which is fucked up because that's the type of thing that we discussed before we ever begin the process. And they knew that's what this was going into it. So they decided not to take her. And we're dealing with that. And she she really liked all the people at the new place. And, and you know, she doesn't fully grasp some of the things you're trying to tell her. And I mean, what are you supposed to tell her? You can't go back there because they don't want you there. You know what I mean? Mm. That's fucking, that's cruel. You don't want to tell a kid that. And so we started doing the process of getting her to a new facility, which is once again, a pain in the ass because COVID still kind of dragging on and facilities are still being assholes. But as we started that, her current home, which she's not supposed to age out of until the end of September, mm-hmm. has decided to basically evict her and gave us less than 30 days notice. So now it's this insane scramble of trying to find her a place in 20 days. Because if she doesn't have a place to go to, she has to come home. And if she comes home, she needs 24-hour supervision, which means my wife has to quit her job, which means we lose half of our household income. It would just be like, it would be really bad. Yeah. So, so that's yeah. what I'm dealing with right now. It's a fucking it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this, that's fucked up. There's not really anything to say. Uh, right. Uh, Sorry, that's happening to you. And I think yeah. Jupiter's legacy has some pacing issues. But <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, all right, yeah. what did you watch, Doug? 
<laughs> or or keep going, Noah. Whichever. I don't care. I was gonna. I was gonna say. I think. I think I agree with the pacing issues. I. I don't know. There's something about the way they're telling the story through the alternating uh, modern stuff in the flashbacks. Yeah. That I don't. There's something about it that rubs me the wrong way. I, and I agree with you. I don't mind either ver- either story. I just don't feel like they're mixing them quite right. I don't know exactly what it is. Right. And I think, you know, because they're building up to the reveal of, oh, how did this this guy go from being the crazy man in the desert to being the the utopian, the guy who just wants to do the ultimate right thing, even though we've pretty much discovered that his right thing is not really the right thing <laughs> Yeah. all the time. I don't know. So there's there's that element of it, and there's also the I found like the first couple of episodes were dealing with like the father and the son and their relationship, and it's similar to Invincible, where the son is supposed to one day take over, and he's just kind of coming into his own. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And then they just kind of drop that for the next couple of episodes, and now we're following the daughter character who lives on the other side of the country and just has her own whole separate life, and we're learning about her. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't. I was just getting interested in that other story. <laughs> what? Are, when are we going to go back and talk about that? And then there's also like this, like actual superhero story going on where they killed this villain, and they're like, how do you get out of jail? And they check the jail, and the, he's still in the jail. So one of these is a clone or whatever. And we're like, okay, what about that storyline? We're not even doing that right now. And it's like, I, I don't know if they need more episodes to tell everything they want to tell or if they just need to edit some of these storylines out of there or what. But it's it, it seems like too much is going on and you can't grasp on to any one storyline with the exception of the kind of origin story that's going on back in the 1920s. That's the only one that seems to be consistent. Yeah. In which so, so far, really, that's the most engaging. I wish the whole show was that. I, I really do. I think it's, it's like, so you, you haven't seen any of it, Brian? No, I was gone all week and because yeah. it, I think it dropped like the day before I left or something. So yeah, yeah I had a chance to watch it. So it was like the, the origin story is like, it's the twenties. This guy's like running a business and obviously 1929 stock market falls. His father who owns the business kills himself right in front of him. And he starts getting these weird visions and is trying to like track down something, but he doesn't even know what. And because we've seen the flash forwards, we know that 80 years later, he's this aging superhero. So we can figure out that something's going to happen that's going to give him these powers and give him this code that he lives by. And sort of part of the, the future story is that his, is that code still relevant in today's world kind of thing? And it's like, okay. That's interesting, but the, the stuff in the that's taking place in 29 or 30, whenever it's supposed to be taking place, is quite good with him like wandering through the desert, like looking for a certain windmill and stuff, and it, it has a neat feel to it. And Red Foreman shows up. Yeah, there you go. Nice. Uh, what else did you watch, Doug? What else did I watch? Uh, well, speaking of evil superhero stuff. I rewatched uh, *Brightburn* for the first time since theaters. Mm-hmm. So that's the evil Superman boy. Yeah, yeah. true, true story. I still haven't watched that. Really, and, and I have no idea why I haven't because I want to see it. I, I really like it. Um, it. It's one of those ones where it's like people are critical of it, and I don't understand why. Like it's 
the visuals are really good. There's like when there's violence, there's like cool like horror movie style gore that goes on. Um, my, I think it's uh, I think it's because it's just very predictable. Sure it is, yeah. But it's that's, it's that's it's, ev- it's evil Superman. I mean, I don't know what. I mean, if that's the premise, we know exactly what it's going to be. It's more about enjoying it, right? Um, I think my complaint the first time I saw it was that you don't spend enough time with the family. You don't kind of get to know them as well, so that the drama doesn't work as well, and I still think that's true. Um, but I, I don't know. I really like it, and I think they kind of they do their best to get around the... They get, try to get around the the fact that they don't have time to spend with the family by just casting very likable people in all the roles, and I think they do a really good job of that of casting really likable people in all the roles. So um, they do it does sort of work, and I don't know. There's not much more to say about it. Like it's 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 evil Superman movie, and I had kind of always wanted to see that, and they did it, and I think they did it well. So. I like them. Nice. What else have I watched? I haven't watched that much, I guess, from the looks of things. I watched <laughs> that new Sons of Sam documentary on Netflix. Have you guys heard of or seen that one? Heard of, haven't watched it. Yeah. It pissed me off a little bit, so... <laughs> it's... Because it's not actually a story about the son of Sam. It's a story about this author who was like a journalist looking into the son of Sam and became convinced that he was part of this like larger, like eventually global cult. Right. And it's all this stuff is where he was trying to, and he, he was actually, I remember the guy being on TV back in like the late eighties because he was like part of the satanic panic thing where he'd go on Geraldo or whatever. And talk about how there was all these evil cults in our society and all this shit going on which most of it is probably blatantly untrue um and the, what annoyed me about this documentary is that they so they hire paul giamatti to be the voice of this guy so he sounds like he's like he sounds like he knows what he's talking about and they present a lot of the stuff that he wrote in his book as fact and then they just have these like cops or whatever just go now nah, that's all bullshit and i'm like no no no. you need to give equal time and have them explain why it's bullshit because you may have just accidentally convinced a whole bunch of people that this stuff's true again just like this fucking author guy did back in the 80s and you're you're convincing him that like the son of sam was part of this giant global conspiracy tied in with this cult from england and it leads back to charles manson and all this shit and i'm like you're, you're going to convince people that this is true and then you're not giving equal time to say why we know it's not true now. And I, it, it frustrated me because I'm just like, at one point, I'm like, they're presenting all this like it's true. But you'd think I'd know all this stuff if it were true. <laughs> and then they right. do. They, like, they have like a little bit of like the actual cops that did the investigations going, no. Or they'll have somebody say like, yeah, no, there was a lot of like logic leaps where he'd say like, you know. A is true and B is true, so D. And you're like, no, you skip C. We haven't gotten to D. Like, you know what I mean? But they don't actually get into the details of that and show where the logic flaws are in the book that this guy wrote. So it's like you're, it's almost like you look like you're covering it up, even though, as an intelligent, rational person, 
I can see that you guys are making the proper arguments in today's world. I'm very worried that there's going to be a lot of people who watch this and go, oh, my God, that author was probably right. You know, so. Yeah. I mean, the worst thing is, is, I mean, the Son of Sam guy basically admitted that it was all bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he later then tried to say yeah, no, I'm in this cult that you could think I'm in. But I, like after this stuff was kind of known, he kind of just played along, I think. And that's where it's like, I don't, you know, like, I, I don't, yeah, how do you trust a guy like that? He's probably just bored in jail after years. And even if he wasn't just bored in jail, even if he believed the things he was saying, he also took orders to kill from a dog. So maybe he's not a reliable source of information. That's just my thoughts on that. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a psychologist. Let's make that abundantly clear to everyone involved. But I, uh, I don't think that somebody like that should be believed outright. Yeah, don't be talking about stuff you're not educated enough to figure out. No, you're right. I, if <laughs> if we have psychologists listening to this and they want to call in and explain to me why that guy should be believed, then I will happily listen to the experts. But <laughs> I suspect that they uh, we're not getting that call. Yeah. Not for this show. Definitely not. No. Oddly enough, it's going to be the Road Rules Challenge podcast that gets that call. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I was just calling in because you guys were talking about that stuff, and I just... <laughs> really love the, the road rules. <laughs> so the son of Sam. What else do you got, Doug? So uh, the only other thing I've got, I watched a movie called Horror Express, which mm-hmm. uh, if if anyone's trying to decide whether or not to watch it, it stars Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and Telly Savalas. So... Who loves you, baby? <laughs> One day I'll host a podcast where you can mention the name Telly Savalas, and nobody does that. It's uh, <laughs> my new goal in life. Uh, <laughs> fail. But uh, the reason I watched it is not because I particularly wanted to see the movie or that I heard it was good or anything. But it's I stumbled across some article online that said this movie was very heavily influenced by the short story Who Goes There, which is, of course, the inspiration for John Carpenter's The Thing. And I'm like, well, now I want to know, like, like the way this article made it sound, it's pretty much the thing, but on a train. And I'm like, well, I, I want to watch that. I want to watch the thing, but on a train and made several years earlier. Yeah, who wouldn't? Um, so as far as the movie goes, it's pretty good if you're into like 70s hammer horror type stuff. Um, you know, but what made it really interesting to me was how much of it was influenced by who goes there. I'm like, it is the story like Christopher Lee is a like an archaeologist who digs up this like being and brings it on the train and the being can like jump body to body. So there's all this tension in the air of like, well, what if that guy's actually the one doing the killing now that this thing is awake and killing people like it could be anybody. Right. And uh, there's even a scene like where they're doing like the equivalent to like the blood test scene from the thing. Even there's even a scene like that where they're testing people's eyes or whatever to see who's, whether anyone is the, uh, the killer. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, it was super interesting to watch and definitely something that's fun to like analyze and to think about. 
uh, you know, I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend it as a horror movie. It was it was okay, especially if you had like if you happen to watch Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing movies and enjoy that. I mean, anytime they're on screen together, it makes me just a little bit happy. The one thing that I found strange though is like so Christopher Lee just plays this like. I don't know, like, aloof, super arrogant fucking asshole, right? And I'm like, the guy's a great actor. Why not get him to act instead of just have him be himself on screen for an hour and a half? Because <laughs> it really feels like he's just talking down to everybody the whole time. And I'm like, I think he was just talking down to people on set and they just filmed it. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, he's pretty famous for doing that. <laughs> to be fair, he kind of earned it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have heard of it. I have not seen it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've always heard the title, but I had no idea what it was um, until until I stumbled across this article. It's available for free in multiple spots, so I'm like, sure, what the hell? And I, I like, as a, a huge fan of the thing, and I really like the original short story, and I really like the the first movie from the 50s, so seeing a different version of that story was fun. Well, it may convince me to check it out. Yeah, let me know what you think. You, I mean, you run the risk of getting a little bored because it is like '70s movie that takes place entirely on trains. So, sure, you know, but but the tension's pretty good. And the actors are good and stuff. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, despite our two week break, that's actually kind of all I got. Mm. You must have a ton of stuff. Um, I mean, I do, but most of them are rewatches, so I don't need to. Go in depth, but uh, talk about your dog getting fleas. Then, yeah, that, yeah, that was a shitty part of the vacation. Uh, it made the rest of us very happy. We're like, that fucker's on vacation. And you're like, yeah. going on vacation and got fleas. I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Motherfuckers. Yeah, pet pet friendly house, and we showed up, and apparently the last person had their animals infested with fleas. We're beginning to think they didn't tell them they had their pets because they didn't want to pay the pet fee and then didn't call them when there were problems. So it was great. Didn't pay the pet fee, didn't get the extra pet cleaning. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, yeah. So we're trying to figure out movies to watch, and I suggested a few things. Uh, we ended up watching uh, that movie Becky that you watched uh, just recently. Yep. Uh, my friend Wes seemed to enjoy it. it still good. Uh, he was curious what other movies uh, that filmmakers had made and uh, told them cooties. And then I showed him the trailer and he said he definitely wanted to see that. So we walked that the next night. That's awesome. Uh, uh, still good. Um, and then uh, Amanda wanted to watch something, so we watched Scream Queen, My Nightmares on Elm Street, which is the documentary about Mark Patton and basically how Nightmare on Elm Street 2 ruined his life. Okay. But there is a uh, kind of a redemption arc throughout the whole thing, so it's pretty fascinating. And if you want to know about sort of what it was like to be a gay actor in the 80s in Hollywood, uh, they go into pretty pretty big depth on that and just all the problems with the Nightmare on Elm Street movie and all kinds of stuff. It's uh, it's a pretty fascinating watch. I'd guarantee. I'd I would uh, say anybody should definitely give it a watch. Um, 
the two things I saw since I got home from vacation. Uh, we watched Nobody with uh, okay. uh, Bob Odenkirk. How's that? Because it looks really good. Uh, it is good. It's basically him doing John Wick, which is kind of funny. Uh, but it's not a parody. Like It's a serious take on it. But he's a... Uh, He's a guy, he used to do a bunch of shady shit, but got out of it and now just lives a normal life. And some people randomly break into his house and rather than unloading on them like he definitely can, he tries to just, you know, get by without anybody getting hurt and they just steal some stuff and take off. And basically his family just thinks he's like the worst person like you should have done something like jesus and his neighbors is like oh man i wish they would have broken into my house i could have used the exercise you know is doing the boxing in the air and shit and he's just is feeling horrible and then finds out that they stole his daughter's uh kitty cat bracelet by accident <laughs> and for some reason that's the thing that sets him off <laughs> and so then he starts hunting not even necessarily hunting them down, but he's just sort of like, I need to fuck some people up. And then ends up getting his stuff back, but then still gets in a fist fight on a bus and breaks this dude's trachea. So he can't breathe. Hey, guess what? Turns out that guy's a, uh, his older brother is like in charge of some Russian mob thing. So then they start coming after him and he has to go back to be in, Badass, you know, whatever again. So it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, Christopher Lloyd's in it. I'm always happy to see Christopher Lloyd. He plays Bob Odenkirk's dad in it. And seeing them sitting next to each other, I'm like, that's great casting. Like, he that just, just sounds genius. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hey, they look like they could be father and son. That's pretty fantastic. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, if you just like over the top, like... You know, I want to get out of the business, but they can't get out of the business stuff. Then this is definitely one of those movies that I think you'd enjoy. Um, and then the other thing we watched is a movie called Synchronic, uh, which is made by Benson and Moorhead, uh, filmmaking duo. They made uh, the movie Spring, and their last movie was The Endless, which was a couple years ago. They make some interesting movies. Um, this is probably their biggest movie to date. If you just look at the idea of the movie and the stars of it. Um, so this one has uh, Anthony Mackie of Avengers and Falcon and Winter Soldier fame. And Jamie Doran from the Fifty Shades movies and uh, that uh, some like BBC stuff over in England. And they're both uh, paramedics in New Orleans. And they start seeing these people who are having problems with this weird synthetic drug that is technically legal called Synchronic. And they can't figure out, like, what the fuck is going on with it. Um, and then one of them has some health issues, decides, fuck it, I'm going to start using this shit just because why not? I'm possibly going to die soon anyway and uh finds out that this this drug may actually be a time travel drug 
And depending on where you're standing when you take it depends on where you'll end up in time or whatever in that exact spot. So it's just an interesting, weird, existential, like, stuff that you're used to. If you see, if you see the Benson and Moorhead movies, uh, you know that sometimes they can get kind of whacked out and weird. And this definitely follows along with that. And uh, I'm a sucker for time travel stuff, so I uh, really enjoyed it. It sounds interesting. Yeah. It's really good. So, definitely worth a watch. There's a little bit more to it, but I don't want to spoil too much because it's just came out last year, I think. I think COVID kind of fucked up its release, so it just kind of came out and nobody really got a good look at it. You know what? I remember seeing trailers for that, and yeah. I don't think I even realized it was a time travel movie. Yeah, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like that. They they definitely sort of lead you into it not not too far into the movie so i didn't didn't feel horrible about maybe spoiling that little part of it but yeah it's pretty fantastic because it's not even your conventional time travel movie it's not like they're it's not like back to the future where they're going back in time and then screwing something up and it's like oh fuck we messed up the present like you know it's not that kind of stuff it's just it's interesting i recommend it Everybody should give it a watch. Uh, and I guess I started watching Dark Side of the Ring. It's back. Oh, yeah. I started watching that as well. Did you watch the uh, the Brian Pillman episode? I did. That was super interesting because I did not know anything about Brian Pillman, I guess. Yeah. Turns out I just, like, I, I knew him, I guess, um, only through basically his WWE stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember him showing up and being on crutches and shit and not really just figuring out, okay, I missed something. Like, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he was super fascinating. Did you, uh, do you know anything about Brian Pillman, Noah? I recognize the name. I'd have to see his face. To... So, so one of the most interesting things that's ever happened in professional wrestling, like behind the scenes, he came up with like this loose cannon gimmick. Because uh, he was just kind of like, like they even talk about it in the doc, that he was he was just sort of like a mid-level, like good guy. Like there's, there was nothing wrong with him. He was a good wrestler. He was good on the mic, but there was just something that he just could not get past the mid card. And he, uh, developed this crazy loose cannon personality and developed it so much that nobody knew a hundred percent if he was being, real or if it was just like a work and it got to the point that he was doing shit on purpose on live tv to make everybody think like oh fuck he's going he's going off script like he's he's talking about shit like you're not supposed to talk about on live tv and wrestling and uh he came up with this weird scenario where he didn't feel like he was being paid enough and so he came up with this scenario with eric bischoff He's like, I'll tell you what, what you sh- we should do is you should like release me from my contract and then I'm going to go somewhere else and do like all this crazy shit and sort of, you know, build up interest in, in my character. And then I'll come back and you'll be able to pay me more money because 
Did you talk to Bischoff? Bischoff said he just could not pay him. Like, you know, the company would not allow him to pay him more money. So if he could build some sort of interest around himself somehow, then he could figure out a way to pay him more money. Um, so he's like, what if you release me? I'll go somewhere else, do a bunch of crazy shit. And then when I come back, you'll be able to pay me more money. Bischoff's like, okay, that sounds like a great idea. He's like, but you have to really fire me now because, you know, the internet, if someone finds out this is all fake, then, you know, it's not going to work. So Bischoff's like, okay, then I'll really fire you. So he fired him, and then he showed up on ECW the week after, started talking a bunch of shit about WCW, and built up so much interest that WWE wanted to hire him. So he's like, yeah, fuck it, I'll go to WWE. So basically talked WCW into firing him so he could go to WWE in the middle of their giant ratings war that they had going on. (laughs) But it's even more fucked up than that, because then while he was in the process of negotiating, he gets in a fucking car accident. And fucks himself completely up, but basically just lies and tells everyone, like, no, no, the doctors told me I'm going to be back to 100% in no time, so that WCW and WWF both still offer him money, even though he knew damn well that that wasn't true. It's like, (laughs) so he ends up, like, literally showing up on WWF TV still walking on a cane and shit, because he is not recovering from this fucking accident that he was in. And they even said, like, WCW technically offered him more money, but it, there was, like, a, it was a renewable contract, so every, like, six months or whatever, he'd have to re-sign. And he knew damn well that he wasn't going to get better, so he just signed with WWF because theirs was, like, a standard contract that lasted three years or whatever. And they, therefore, they couldn't stop paying him after six months. <laughs> it's fucked and it's like and then, and everyone involved is like telling the story in a different way like it's so funny when everyone's just like they're telling the story like they don't know if it's true or not and some people are telling the story from one perspective and Bischoff is like no no we were he never like pulled the wool over my eyes or anything and they're like well he didn't come back to WCW though and he, Bischoff's like seems convinced that he uh he would have, if not for the car accident. But it's like, I don't know if that's true or not. Nobody seems to understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then he's got, like, this coach that he was hanging out with. And the coach is basically saying, he's like, the greatest thing you can do is convince someone to, to, to fuck themselves. And basically have them thinking the idea of fucking themselves is a great idea. And that's totally what we did to Eric Bischoff. It's, I love that coach guy. He's like... A, a fitness trainer for the NFL because that's because Pillman was a football player for a bit before he became a wrestler and he's like he's I, I don't even think he's like getting paid I think he's just <laughs> Pillman's friend helping him out like right? giving him advice kind of thing and he's just like yeah no and then like like I forget what he says about Vince McMahon but it's it's not nice and he's just yeah. like he has no respect for anybody in the wrestling industry so he's just helping Pillman fuck people over and giving yeah. him advice on how to do it <laughs> oh it's like uh, he's like well we did to him what you do to a whore we fucked him <laughs> <laughs> it's like what <laughs> yeah I was just reading an article the other day in Eric Bischoff was talking about, apparently I missed something. There's some kind of a documentary or episode or something about Randy Savage, not the dark yep. side of the ring one, something nope. else. Uh, a, A&E is do, was doing a series of uh, famous rec- wrestler biographies, and they yeah. did one on Randy Savage. And 
And from what Eric Bischoff was saying, he is not happy that he took part in that. No, I actually saw an interview with him and he commented that he's perfectly fine with the Brian Pillman thing because he feels like even though they exposed like the dark sides of Pillman's life, they still did it in like a respectable way, you know? Um, but he said the savage thing, it's like basically it was, it was implied to him. And apparently if you watch these biographies, it's true that these are just like fluff pieces, right? Like the kind of thing I complain about whenever I watch them, where it's mm-hmm. just like WWF marketing, basically putting together a fucking biography of this wrestler and he's like that's what i thought i was getting into and then all of a sudden the savage one is just for whatever reason just mean-spirited and i haven't seen it so i don't know if that's true for i watched it i don't feel i mean they didn't talk about anything i didn't already know i mean dark side of the ring already did the macho man and elizabeth uh, episode and i mean it really wasn't don't even think they went as dark as is that episode did um like the Again, the impression I got from this one comment that I heard Bishop make is that it's, yeah. just, it's more context, right? It's more when you do mm-hmm. Dark Side of the Ring, you sit down with the guys and you're expecting them to do the dark side of wrestling and you're expecting them to get into the, the negative shit. And the biography, I think, where they were expecting more of just a, I don't know, just a typical fluff piece, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That, remember that time that he drop kicked Andre right out of the ring kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Bischoff's Bischoff is kind of ignore him. Well, yeah, he's also like, I, you know, he's Bischoff. So yeah. it's, he's, it's weird. He, he's a controversial figure. <laughs> it's weird how much his real personality, now that he's dude does podcasts and stuff, is like so much like the personality he had as his like. TV persona. I'm like, oh, okay. He's not a great actor, apparently. But, like, the persona I thought was intentionally douchey and dickheaded, but apparently that's just what he is. It's just him. So. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, yeah, but the Brian, the Brian Pillman episode's really good. Yeah. Have oh, you yeah. watched any of the other ones? Is there three out now? Two? Uh, I only have two on my DVR. Uh, the other one's the Nick Gage one. Yeah, have you watched that one? Or? I have not watched that one yet. Okay, we'll talk about it next week, maybe. It's... He's he's the guy for if if anybody don't know if you've watched the you cannot kill David Arquette documentary, Nick Gage is the one he had the death math death match with and yeah. uh, got seriously injured while doing it. So yeah, I don't know those death matches, man. Like they they show some clips in the Stark side of the ring, and you're just like, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. You should be stabbing each other with broken light bulbs in front of 34 people. I just don't know if that's <laughs> worth it. No. I don't get it. I don't. I don't either. Like, I was yeah, all in favor I of, have... like, ECW and stuff. Like, I understood that. But this stuff goes way too far, in my opinion. Well, even even the ECW stuff, I've come so full circle on it now that I'm I'm ashamed of how much I enjoyed those types of matches back in the day that I'm like, oh my God, these people, I don't know, some, something about wrestling being, quote, fingers fake. Mm-hmm. I was always like, yeah, but that's all just gimmicked stuff. And it's like, no, no, these people are just fucking destroying themselves. <laughs> yeah, so but weird. I'm, I'm pretty much okay with athletes and or entertainers physically destroying themselves if they're doing it in a way that is like... They know what they're doing. 
and they're making a decision that like yeah i'm gonna um you know I'm gonna be in a lot of pain for a bunch of my life but i get to be rich and famous and be the best in my sport and all that i, I don't know i think it's all part of the game i understanding what we know now i look back and i see some of the chair shots that people took back in the day and i'm like ooh, mm. ooh, that's not okay you yeah. know stuff to the head i have a real issue with but as far as the cuts and the bruises and the broken bones and shit, I'm like, eh, you knew what you were doing. Yeah, even some of the modern stuff. Like, I was just watching, right before I went on vacation, uh, AEW did a blood and guts match, which they legally have to call it that because uh, they can't use the title War Games, the old WCW thing. So that's the two rings wrapped in one big cage? Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Um. And the term blood and guts was actually making fun of Vince McMahon because in some, like, stockholder call, he said they weren't going to go back to that blood and guts crap that they did in the Attitude Era. Yeah. And so, of course, AEW is like, we should we should name our special blood and guts. That's actually okay. really clever. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there was a couple uh, unprotected hair shots, and I was just like, oh, no, no. Let's not go back to doing that. Like, that's a bad idea. So Yeah, like, I don't know. If somebody breaks a, an arm or gets a nasty cut, you know, it's life. But when you start doing, like, the chair shots and you you start... I mean, at what point, if you've taken a few chair shots, are you no longer qualified to consent to a chair shot because your brain doesn't work right from the last one you took? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but I mean the deathmatch stuff, and you'll watch some of it in this Nick Cage episode, and I just don't. Ah, it's like it's just brutality for brutality's sake, mm-hmm. and it's not. I don't know. It's different. It's hard to describe why like that type of violence is less acceptable, but it's you know. I I think I told somebody one time it's it's the difference between so in ancient Rome you could see people cheering two gladiators battling it out. But the second you become the people who are cheering the people being fed to lions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a different thing. But unfortunately, I think a lot of wrestling occasionally is feeding people to lions. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's, it's a gray area. Like I understand there's room for everyone's different opinion. Um, again, for me, it's if people choose to put their bodies in the line, I don't look at it as that different from, you know, football players that go out there and do it every week or hockey players or whoever else. Right. I, I guess, although, you know, football players and stuff typically have insurance and well, yeah, their contracts about getting paid if they're injured. Sure. Things like that stuff to be said for the fact that the wrestling industry doesn't treat its talent fairly. I'll agree with that. It's a separate question in my opinion. <sighs> Good times. Yeah, we talked about PTSD. Now we're talking about concussion syndromes. <laughs> it's a real upbeat podcast we got coming up this week. Here's The worst thing is I, I love wrestling so much and anymore it just makes me sad. <laughs> just... <laughs> Disappointing thing. Things I love shouldn't make me sad. Uh, but if you didn't love it, it couldn't make you sad. So, 
There's the sweet irony. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, all right, Noah, what do we do next week? Uh, next week, I'm trying to remember the movie it's paired with, but we're doing Time Cop and Universal Soldier. Is that the yeah, pairing? That's right. Cop, yeah, that's right. Keeping yeah. it serious again next week, eh? <laughs> <laughs> a lot more detailed discussions about, the, about Vietnam, the implications of people's decisions. And, well, uh, I'll be honest. I was hoping both of these films were going to be a little bit more exploity than they were, and they weren't. Wow. So, so now I want to watch some garbage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm excited. I love Time Cop. I don't care what people say. I haven't seen Time Cop in a while. Yeah. I definitely like Castle uh, Soldier quite a bit. I haven't seen it in a while either, but I just remember liking it a lot. So. Mm-hmm. Just remember, two people can't occupy the same space. <laughs> you have to remember that for when you Important. take your, your time traveling seriously. Such a weird rule. I love I love whatever time travel movies they just arbitrarily make up some weird fucking thing. Like here's the thing. Everybody's like, like I don't I don't think that sounds right. And they're like, Yep, that's the thing. Do you wanna do you wanna test it? Because I wouldn't want to test it. And you're like, all right, all right, calm down. Yeah. Don't don't fuck with me. I know what's up. <laughs> uh, if two people touch, they're going to get all weird and gooey. And I bet you those special effects don't hold up. What's wrong with oh. that? I, uh, just, just the special effect in my head doesn't hold up, so that's Because <laughs> I'm assuming it's worse than I remember it being. That makes sense. I remember it looking like a ball of that like Nickelodeon gack stuff. <laughs> can be wrong. Uh, at least the... Uh... Necklace made of human ears and Universal Soldier will look good, so (laughs) that'll offset it. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.